All right, welcome to the Spiro Avenue Podcast. I am your host, Justin Spiro. I'm very excited today. We are joined by a a distinguished, esteemed guest in Rod Beard, and we'll get to Rod in just a minute. I want to talk a little bit about culture these days and and the environment we're living in. And this is a a time where everyone is entitled, right? And it's almost been beaten to death that it's the everyone gets a trophy culture, that uh, we all feel so entitled to a certain level of service. If the meal is uh, uh, one degree too cold, we complain to the server and ask for the manager, right? So that's 2019. Everyone whines, everyone's entitled. And it is actually to a whole different level with sports, okay? Sports fans are the most entitled group on the planet. And really, my producer is a Boston fan. There's no one more entitled than the Boston fans, right? You wait till the one night I don't have a microphone? His microphone is turned off for a reason because he knew I was going to insult Boston tonight. But the Boston fans, and I'm not picking on you, Jag, but it's true. The Boston fans are the most entitled. Why? You look at what they do. They do nothing but complain, even though they win a title between one of their four teams every, like, six months, four months, whatever it is. So we're entitled. Okay, three. Thank you. We're entitled in 2019. Sports fans are especially entitled. I don't think sports fans are entitled to titles. You're not entitled to championships. And the fans like Mike, you know, the best example in town, I think, is Mike Valenti, who I happen to be a fan of most of his work, but he's a diehard New York Giants fan. And in the last decade, he has declared himself Giants free about 15 times. And in that span, he's won two Super Bowls. And in his adult life, the Giants went to a third with Jim Fossil. Still complains, says he's Giants free in a town where the Lions are the team, and they haven't even won a playoff game since he got here, and not 10 years before he got here either. So I don't like the entitled sports fans, but I will say this. You are not entitled to titles, but you are entitled to competence. You're entitled to have your operation run with some level of sanity, okay? And that may not lead to titles. Titles are really hard to win. Dynasties are hard to build. So I don't kill teams for not winning a title. The Detroit Tigers stuff drives me nuts. But you know what? I respected that they went for it. And I defended a lot of their moves. I didn't like everything. They neglected the bullpen for a long time, and it really bit them, especially in 2013. But I respected the process. I liked what they did, and it made sense to me, even if I didn't always agree with it. So I wasn't entitled to a title. They gave me everything they had. Mike Gillich gave everything he could to bring a title here, and that's all I could ask for as a fan. I want the title. I didn't get it. I'm not entitled to it, okay? What the Detroit Pistons are doing, they are – this is not a standard of I'm entitled to the Detroit Pistons winning a championship. I don't like that attitude. I've explained why. I think it's unrealistic. I think it's hard to win a title. But I do feel entitled as a longtime paying customer, as a follower of the team for many, many years, since early childhood, I do feel entitled – to the organization being run competently in some fashion that makes sense. And this team seems to operate with any sense of of reality or or discernible function or direction since 2008. And what was the last thing they did that made any sense whatsoever? It was the much-panned Allen Iverson trade. I'm not saying the Allen Iverson trade was good. I think it was a well-documented calamity. He was finished, more finished than any of us realized. And this is coming from a guy who really liked AI in his day. But he was finished, okay? 
But the move made sense. The team had gotten stale. Everyone was screaming at Dumars. They were perennial runners-up in the Eastern Conference after the finals loss in 05. They had a three-year run of just constantly coming up a little bit short. They felt they had to do something to extend that championship window. Iverson was still a star up into the end in Denver. They took a swing. They missed. The entire era collapsed on its face. It was probably done anyway, but it expedited the process. But that was the last thing they did that made sense. It made sense. It was bad. It was kind of dumb, ill-advised, whatever you want to call it. But it made sense. I understood what they were doing. It has been over a decade since I had any clue what this organization's plan is. As far as I can tell, it's just to make the playoffs and get steamrolled in the first round, which they've done three times since that year. I don't know what's going on. The guy across from me from the Detroit News, Rod Beard, is one of my favorite journalists in this town. He will interact with the fans. He is one of the most accessible journalists in the state on Twitter. And I'm thrilled to have him here because Rod and I, I think, disagree on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Rod Beard from the Detroit News, welcome to the Spiro Avenue Podcast. Well, that's an introduction. We disagree on just about everything, but no, no, it, it's fun. And, and I like to interact with fans, but thanks for having me in. Uh, it, it's a pleasure. Now, Rod, I, my stance is this. I want this team to just bottom out. And you have been pretty anti-tanking uh, on Twitter, in your column, uh, pretty aggressively anti-taking. Can you explain to me why I'm wrong that this team shouldn't bottom out, accumulate draft picks, and start this rebuild sooner rather than later? Now let me let me preface and say I am not defending what they do. I'm saying what makes sense to me. And once they got Blake Griffin, everything else was off the table. And I'm not anti-tanking as a strategy. Because it works for some people that you just there's just enough hopelessness to make tanking the best option for the Pistons and where they are, because there are so many brick walls to their avenue of tanking, it doesn't make sense for them to try to tank. But if you're the Knicks, the Cavs, the Suns, uh, the Hawks, it makes more sense to do that because you're not going to be in any kind of contention anytime soon. For the Pistons, and once they signed Blake Griffin, they had a ticking time bomb with his contract, that that's a five-year deal, and you have to be good in that timeline for anything to make sense. You can't sign Griffin and then tank because you're paying him too much money. No team that has tanking as their, their mantra really has a guy that's being paid that much. I can't think of one that has a... a uh, super max type guy and they're deciding they want to tank. They're just going to go for it. And I can completely buy the logic that you're paying Drummond that and you're paying Griffin that and you have to go for something. So it's easier to go this way than to go that way. That makes logical sense to me. But are you going to get to a championship? Are you going to get to a an Eastern Conference final? Probably not, unless you add another piece to it. Can you figure out a way, and they were it sounds like they were close to that at the deadline, that they were considering the Mike Conley thing. If you add Mike Conley to Drummond and Griffin, are you closer to being a, a, a second-round, maybe Eastern Conference final team? Probably. But I just don't understand the fascination with let's go three, four, or so years to completely bottom out and rebuild this because there is no guarantee, even in that scenario, that you're going to get everything right. 
Well, I'm glad you just said that there's no guarantee because this has been sort of the argument that has been on your side of the table that I've taken such issue with. And it's not just you. It's it's a large section sure, of the sure, fan base sure. that, that agrees with you. The, the logic against tanking is there's no guarantee you're going to get the top pick. You could slide down to third or fourth. And even if you get the top pick, what if it's Anthony Bennett? You know, I mean, that, that, that's the logic. No one on my side of the table that I'm aware has ever made the argument Oh, I want a guarantee superstar with the second overall pick. It's about a better chance. I have a better chance of acquiring a superstar if I have the first pick in the draft or the second pick in the draft than if I have the 15th pick in the draft sure. or even the eighth or ninth pick, which they were kind of in that range, the yeah. Brandon Knight, Drummond you know, era uh, of drafts. So I'm not seeking any guarantee of anything. I'm just seeking a better likelihood of a landing of landing a star here. As far as I can see... There's only two ways to really build a winner in the NBA. I think it's probably the toughest sport to do. It's if you're not in one of those major markets in particular, and even the Lakers are can't get out of their own way. I think you have to either hit the lotto a couple times, hit in the draft, even if you don't win the lottery. Sure. Like look at the Warriors, what they did. Even when they didn't win the lottery, they got you know Curry was what the seventh pick or yeah. eighth pick or whatever. Yeah, they he was. got lucky with that pick. They they got a couple good picks. You need some luck in the draft. You need some lotto balls, and you have to hit on the picks that you do get. Or you can do the Pistons model, which is really the outlier, but when they signed a bunch of castoffs. The Detroit Pistons title from 04 was mm-hmm. built entirely from the previous couple of years. They weren't all there still in 04. But when you're adding Clifford Robinson, you're adding John Barry for nothing. I mean, they were getting a Chauncey Billups. People forget Chauncey Billups was a cast-off. He yep. was a multi-city, I hate the term failure, but he wasn't a failure, but he was he was a disappointment. He was a vagabond. He was, he was the definition of a vagabond. That entire title was built on bargain-free agents, guys that were underappreciated elsewhere, uh, not, you know, Ben Wallace, obviously the greatest example. So I think you can, I don't know about winning a title in this era with that kind of a, a method, but I think you can be pretty darn good. But I think the best method is to go through the draft. I'm not arguing that I, there's a guarantee of anything, but I think you have a better chance of bottoming out. And, you know, you say they're pot committed on Blake Griffin. I agree. But the issue that I have with the media in this town covering the Pistons, and it's not just you, I had the same conversation with James Edwards when he was in. Mm-hmm. I don't think the media is doing a good enough job holding the Pistons to account for making that commitment to Blake Griffin. You're saying that once they committed to Blake Griffin, they were pot committed. You've conceded in the past in your interview with Mike Valenia on 97.1 and in, mm-hmm. your, uh, in your Twitter account that they cannot win a title, in your opinion. I, correct me if I'm wrong, right, with this core. As currently comprised, I don't see it. No. Right, 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 right. right. So you, it's, it's fair to say we should criticize the team for being pot committed to a plan that has no chance of working, right? I mean, I'm trying to make the next step logically. I think it's, it's turning the ship around and – when you look at the front office, this current front office, they were kind of handicapped to the pot commitment. It's like you coming in the middle of a poker hand. Hey, here's the cards you got. I've already got a bunch of money in the pot. What are you going to do? Do you commit more money to it when this isn't a hand that you want to play? Or do you say, well, we just got to wait this hand out and get to the next hand that maybe we can do something a little bit better. And we've got the pieces to try to figure something out. So I think there is that pot commitment to Blake Griffin, but there's that and you can tell by the, the Mike Conley rumors that point guard, they're not happy, but they have to wait to a point that they can do something with this Reggie Jackson contract and with the lure and with the Galloway. And I think the, the, what set this whole thing ablaze 
was Stan Van Gundy thinking that he was very, very, very close to doing something. And he just, when you go out and you sign Galloway to that deal and lure to that deal, you have to feel like you're right there and those are the last two pieces you need. You've got, what, um, three aces in, in draw poker and you feel like, if I get one more ace here, I've got this. And neither one of them is an ace. It's like a, a deuce and a six or something that you just don't get either one of the cards you want. And he felt he Stan Van Gundy coveted a, a stretch four that could could guard a Kevin Love and a, a, the Monty Eunice overtures that he made before were very much in that same vein. And he felt like Lure could be that guy. The problem is Lure was playing reserve minutes. And Stan wanted to stretch that into starters minutes because remember that back and forth with Tobias and uh, John Lure, you keep Tobias in that starting role and you keep Lure in his reserve role and you might have something. As soon as he increased those minutes significantly on Lure is when he got hurt and when everything seemed to fall apart. The other thing was that he bet on Reggie Jackson being that guy. Reggie Jackson in a certain role can be that. When you need him to be the hub of your offense and to run everything through him, you're kind of playing with fire when you don't have another option that's there. And that's that's where all of those commitments that Stan made put them where they are right now. I, I don't disagree with the single thing you said. I, I agree across the board. The John War move, that's something you make if you're one piece away. Exactly. You, you need that one, you know, that big shooter to add a little wrinkle into your attack that isn't there already. I don't know what they were thinking with that, but so I agree with all those points. And maybe you've written this this article, Rod. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it from anybody. So mm-hmm. this is a a blanket uh, a criticism of the media in town that you just happen to be the one sitting across from me now. Sure. So forgive me for giving you the entire blow. But where is the column in the paper saying all these moves were terrible? They made no sense. I don't know what the Pistons' plan is. Uh, where is that column? Because everyone seems to agree there's no path to a title. What are we doing? What are we playing for? I mean, why do we why do we play sports? We so play I, to win, right? I think I think that path is you've got to wait and see, and th- that's hard to tell anybody because it's it's almost with the wings. It's the same sort of thing. Well, we're going to rebuild this thing, but you got to wait and see. They're going, and it seems to me in conversations with folks that their path is we're going to do this on the fly. The Blake Griffin thing is the sale on the the sport coat that you really like, and you're you're not gonna see it again. So you you just get it, and you'll find the the shoes and the shirt that match with it at some point. But you absolutely have to get this thing because you don't know when you're gonna get another opportunity to get one. Well, I think the lack of patience from the fan base is the least of the Pistons' concerns. The majority of the fan base, with the you know, I, my Twitter account is not necessarily a scientific poll. I granted. But when I did run the poll, would you rather have the Pistons tank or just stay on the path they're doing and make tweaks? It was like 92% tank. And I again, not scientific, but just from my finger, at least gently on the pulse of this fan yeah. base, from talking to people, everyone I know, it is it is about 9 to 1, 8 to 1 in favor of tanking. So I don't think they, you know, you're saying we have to wait it out. We're willing to wait it out. I just think we want it to be done a certain way while we're waiting. And I think that's the issue. I, if you told me the team was going to tank bottom out for five years, I'm not asking, like I said earlier, for a guarantee that it'll work. I have a good feeling it probably won't work. But at least it makes some level of sense. In a worst-case scenario, it'd be fun to watch Zion Williamson or you know uh, some other top-three pick, R.J. Barrett, whomever you want, play rather than Luke Kennard, who is a solid NBA player, but he's not going to sell many tickets and he's not going to be on any highlight reels very much. So I'm... More than happy to wait. 
please make me wait. But while I'm waiting, let's see steps towards something that makes sense. I uh, still, where is the column? Because like someone has to write the article other, other than other than me because no one cares about me. I don't have the following that you do. Like someone needs to write the article calling this team to, to the mat on this, particularly with Tom Gores. I want to transition to Tom Gores really quick with you. Mm-hmm. Do you see Tom Gores as an engaged owner when he basically parachutes in twice a year during the regular season? He, he's kind of barely here. He twirls a T-shirt around. I mean, do you think this guy's truly invested in this team? I think he's in. I think he's invested, but it really depends on what you want. It's almost like parents. Some people have a, a, a dad who's a helicopter parent. Some guys have, or, or some dads might be ones that just show up at your games and they're so invested in their work that you only see them. They come and give you a, a hug, good night, and that's it. Some are very hands-on and with everything else. So it's, do you want a Mark Cuban? Do you want a Steve Ballmer? Do you want um, any of these other owners in the league that have so many different personalities? I think the best that you can ask from an owner is that they understand what you need and they give you the things that you need. So it's almost like a dad, hey, I need this, I need... Um, School clothes. I need this bill paid. I'm, I'm trying to play travel baseball. I need you to pay this. So all of those things, and they provide and they understand what you need and why you need it. So it's almost like the, the Mike Illich thing. When the Tigers were so bad and he laid out the checks and said, look, we'll go get Pudge Rodriguez. We'll go get Miguel Cabrera. So it's almost back when they got Cabrera, you knew that they were building towards something. But all the other pieces they needed after that, hey, we, we've got, we're close. We need Prince Fielder now. Checks, check is signed. Let's go get the guys that we need, whatever you need to make a championship-type team. I think Tom Gorris is in that same mold. And every time I've talked to him in the past couple of years, it's always been, are you willing to go into the luxury tax to, to build this team and to get the next piece that you want? Because if you're not, none of this matters. You've got a, a, a team that's almost at the tax line and is 500. If you're not willing to go over that, we, there's nothing to talk about here. And every time he said, yeah, I'm willing to do it for the right player, for the right situation, if we get there. And again, that's that's my sign of a good owner. If you're going to go over the tax line and money's coming out of your pocket to make this team better, then you're really committed to what we're trying to do. And I don't mind as much about him not being there because if we're going to relate it to parents again, you, you might have bad parents and you don't want your dad around. He could have... Um, a, a drug addiction, or it, it could be anything. And not saying that Gores has a drug addiction. I know how that's going to play when this uh, right. when this goes. Well, that but, suggestion's been out there. But well, it, well, not not from you or me. Not from you or me. But but there are just to say we want to have a dad who's present and around isn't always a good thing. And just to have an owner who's there every game isn't necessarily a good thing too. Because most people would say if you ran a poll, do you want a Steve Ballmer type owner or do you want a Mark Cuban type owner? Probably a lot of those people would say, no, we don't want that guy who's courtside and arguing with the refs and uh, is on camera every five minutes. So I think it it just depends. But the bottom line for me is an owner that's willing to cut the check when it's time to cut the check and go over the the tax line to do whatever. That's his money. That's stuff that he doesn't have to do. But I don't need to see him 40 times a year for me to feel like he's an engaged and involved owner. I think it's just more of what you're willing to do to help your team be successful. Well, and, and I'm glad that he has said in interviews that he would be willing to go over the, the you know into the luxury tax. We haven't seen that yet, but I would defend him for not doing that at this point. I, the, the money wasted, the team is not in that position. And, and from, from all indication, there was a point where the Mike Conley thing was going to happen, and it felt like the front office, the new front office with 
um, Malik Rose and those guys kind of convinced him it's not the time. We're not ready to push that many chips into the middle of the table because even with a Mike Conley, this thing isn't done. It's not ready. You still need complementary pieces, and that bench isn't what you want it to be. So that's that's what, what my, my conversations have been about is how close with this Conley thing? Was he willing to do it? It sounds like he was willing to, but there were some other things that just didn't work out. Well, thank God they didn't do the Conley thing. Because, I mean, they, again, they, they'd be better, but not better enough. To, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd yeah. be harshly critical if they had done the Conley thing because it's just not time. Yeah, it, it, would, it would have been a ridiculous move. The, here's the issue. They lived a charmed existence this year, the Pistons did. The whole narrative last year, at the end of the year, was we never got to see Drummond and Griffin and Jackson healthy together. The you could correct me on the numbers, but I think the eight games they all played together, the team was, you know, whatever it was, six and two or seven, small sample size, whatever it was. Yeah. That was the narrative, though, going into the year. If we can just get seventy plus games out of all three of them, see this team together, then things will be fine. You know, maybe not uh, beating the Warriors fine, but they'll be in good shape. And it was the same crap, just hanging around, trying to sneak into that eight seed. Will they, won't they, will they, won't they? They get hot for a week or 10 days, and then they stink and lose three more in a row when they play someone other than the the Suns. It was the same thing. Blake Griffin played 75 games this year. That's basically a full slate. I mean, nowadays everyone sits out at least a few. 75 games you played the whole year out of 82. Reggie played, what, 80? 82. 82. He played played all 82. 82. Did Drummond miss any games? Drummond missed maybe four or five because he had the concussion deal for right, a little bit. Right. So it was high okay. 70s. A, a negligible amount, though. Like yeah, it's, yeah. They were all healthy all the whole year. Everything went right for this team. That's all we heard. Oh, if we get those three together for 82 games, they're healthy. If we get, I mean, Blake Griffin staying healthy for 75 games, that's the most games he's played in like six years. And not only was he healthy, the guy had the best year of his career. Absolutely. He, he's one of the best players in the NBA. You got more than you bargained for out of him. This is like the, everything went right for them, and look what happened. They still didn't win a playoff game. So if you have a plan where everything goes right, all those coin flips land on the way you need them to land, you, you're Donald Trump, you win every state you need to by six votes, and, and you still lose, that's a problem. They had everything go their way, and they still did nothing. They barely made the playoffs, and they were embarrassed in four games. They lost by an average of 20 points a game to the Bucs. If, if their best-case scenario, where they live the charmed life, gets them nowhere, what does that say about the plan? It's pretty bad, right? Well, and I'll, I'll put eight letters out for you. Ish Smith. And it, you look at the top of that, and that's where this roster kind of has – some more foibles. You put so much money in those top three guys, and we'll, we'll even say top four with, with Lure, but Lure doesn't play as much. But they didn't have a third point guard option. And Jose Calderon was just kind of a, they expected so much more from him. But if your team is based on, and your success is based on Ishmith missing, what was it, 26 games, and they win 8 and 18 in those games, and you have to rely on Jose Calderon, and he just, in those 26, he looked horrible. And they had to bring in um, Kalen, Kalen Lucas, Kalen, was Kalen Lucas for some games. But that again, that's a G League guy who had played, I think, one or two pro games, a handful of pro games. But that's the guy that showed you how bad they they the production from Calderon was during that time when they had to go and just 
sign two point guards in the G League to give them just some other options to even look at. But again, the, the construction and the foundation is so bad that an Ish Smith injury for 26 games sends your, your whole thing crashing. So it doesn't matter how Reggie plays and Blake plays because once you get to that bench and you've got Calderon, who's 36, 37, when you've got to rely on those minutes, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, if you're saying, oh, if only our backup point guard didn't get hurt for a quarter of the year, all would have been okay. I mean, th- that's not a viable. Not necessarily okay, but 8-18 eight and 18 screams they needed something better. They need some kind of better option at backup point guard. But all I'm saying, and I, I totally agree, all I'm saying is when everything goes right, well, Bron's out of the conference, your three big guns are all healthy, and this is the result. That speaks volumes about the plan. The plan is poor. They will be uh, the luckiest team on planet Earth if they get 75-plus games out of Blake Griffin next year. I would bet I'd give anybody anybody listening to this podcast 5-1. to one. The over-under 75, we'll set it right now, it's going to go under. Okay, so you know, call in and place your bets. Blake Griffin's not playing seventy-five games. I'm not rooting against it. I I hope he plays eighty-two. I love Blake Griffin. I think the guy is a, an absolute warrior, but it's not going to happen. So if our, our our dream season occurred with the health of those three guys, which it did, and we still haven't won a playoff game in over a decade. I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to buy this. I'm not going to buy that they were a Conley trade away from viable contention. There's no option for them. There is no path. My argument is you can trade Blake Griffin. Look, I don't, I don't have sources with you know 30 teams in the league. I don't know. But my guess is you could trade Blake Griffin if you wanted to. There's going to be a lot of owners out there that are, are going to get skunked in free agency. They're going to have a ton of cap space. Cap's going up again. They're going to have a lot of cap space to begin with. And they're going to say, yeah, go get Blake Griffin if you can. I love Blake Griffin. I'm not saying get rid of him because I don't like him. I feel bad for him. I feel bad that he was traded here in the first place. I think he wants to be in Southern California, and I don't blame him. I love Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin's one of my favorite athletes that's have ever come through this city for what he's done, the professionalism he's shown. I disagree with you that they're as pot committed as they are. Okay, I think you can get out of this stuff. You, I tweeted at you a couple months ago. I would call up the Bucks and say, hey, give me George Hill for Andre Drummond. You, you thought that was stupid, but uh, which you, you're probably right. But just I, my point is get rid of these guys. Just dump them. I don't even care if I get value back because we've acknowledged that this core can't win. So if we've acknowledged this is, that this core can't win, they have no cap space to do anything to put them over the top, well, may, may as well tear it down. I'll trade Andre Drummond for a second-round pick right now. I'll trade Blake Griffin for a third-round pick if they ever add a third round. <laughs> no, but I, I think that, and I've, I've heard that same kind of line of thinking too, the problem is, is on one hand, if you say Drummond's no good, I'll trade him for a second-round pick, you've you got to trade for a second-round pick for a team with space that can right. pull that in, or... The other side of that is if Drummond's that bad and he's um, a dinosaur, he's the, the lost art of the big man that's, that, that rebounds don't matter, blah, 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 then what team is going to take him? There's no team that's going to want that if you're trying to give it away. And even if you're doing it, you're sending a, a sweetener with it. So you have to send a draft pick, which goes against the idea of tanking to acquire more assets. So you're giving away an asset to get rid of a, a bigger albatross you still got to pull more in. Now, I do agree with you on the Blake thing. I think that if they got the right offer, they'd listen to it. And it would have to be a load of picks, two or three first-rounders. 
you'd have to have a, a starting type guy, a young starter that you could build around. But again, Blake just turned, what, 30? So you've got to find a team that's desperate, that thinks that they're that close, that would be willing to give you a haul to do it. It can be done. I don't know which team that is, though. Is that a uh, a Denver? Is that a Milwaukee? Is somebody, and, and I've said with the Drummond thing, if you're really that hard-pressed to get rid of them, you can call up Sacramento. And that was one of the reported trades that, that Van Gundy wanted was to send them to Sacramento and uh, bring in some of those guys. Um, who was it? Colley-Stein. Uh, Willie Colley-Stein. Willie Colley-Stein. Willie Colley-Stein. But if you're building a construction around a young center like that, he's not necessarily a perimeter stretch five either. So there, there just aren't enough opportunities out there. But again, you, you tell me another team is going to give you a, a nice haul or a reasonable haul for Blake Griffin and you want to start over with that, I can listen. I'm, it, so I'm not anti-tanking. I'm anti-tanking for the Pistons in the situation that they're in because you've got farther to go the other way to rewind this than you do to go this way to, you tell me they figure out some way to get Kimball Walker. We're, everybody's going that way. But you tell me that they can get rid of Griffin, I can listen to something going back the other way and saying, hey, now they're in a position, they're off this contract, the Drummond thing, he has a player option after next season. If he somehow outside of that, hey, you're in prime position where you can just tank this thing out and build around Kennard and start over completely. So I've been painted as an anti-tanker. I'm anti-tank for this situation that they're in right now. And until something changes... I just don't see it. Okay, and that's fair. I mean, you're making kind of the same argument that James Edwards has made, and I I do get it. I don't think it's insane. I just think we disagree. I do think my criticism of you, I have the disagreement with you on the sports take, and that's fine. That makes the world go round. My criticism of, of your individual approach to this is your frustration with the fans that mm-hmm. have interacted with you. And look, I get it. I get probably 5% of the negative tweets you get, not because Mm -hmm. uh, you're 95% more hated, but because you're 95% more popular, and there's just that many uh, bad people out there. But I get it. I get fed up with with it too. But I think your patience is running a little thin with fans who do have a very uh, understandable reason to be frustrated and upset and not want to hear about the Pistons have to stay the course because they hate the course. The course Mm -hmm. has been terrible for a long time. Do you think that the fans have been getting you a little bit with the Twitter stuff? You're, you're getting a little block happy on Twitter these days. I mean, um, what's going on? I think it's more, it's just discourse. We can disagree, and at the end of the day, we can go have a beer and go do, because that's what sports fans do. But I'm not going to get insulted. I'm not going to let anybody call me any kind of anything because it's a conversation. And it's also, if you see me in the streets, if you're not going to say the same thing, to me face to face that you would say online, we don't need to have this conversation. And it's Twitter's not a tool where context comes across very well. So Yeah, very true. Very true. So very much when people say stuff and it's I might be in the middle of the game, I might be writing a story, I see something else, and it's sort of, well, you're you're you don't know what you're talking about, or blah, 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 blah. Most of the time it's benign and I don't care. But the the block thing is when people think that they understand what my point is and I've never interacted with them or Mm -hmm. it's somebody that doesn't even follow me. If you don't follow me, why are you engaging me in a conversation? Because you've connected through somebody else to start a conversation. Look, 
you don't follow me and you're just trying to troll and just to be there and to make a point and, ah, what do you think about uh, their chances now? Or I bet you, I bet you thought they should have tanked now. Look, bro, I'm, I'm not here for that. It, it, you don't follow me, but you're just trying to pile on to something else. Go pile on somewhere else. That's I'll, I'll have a conversation, literally. I'll have a Twitter conversation with anybody. My DMs are always open. So anybody who messages me, I'll have a conversation and we can go back and forth point to point. But the idea that you're just going to join in a conversation just to say, ha ha, you were wrong. That's cool. You, th- you think what you think and I think what I think. And we can have a difference of opinion and it's still cool. I'll call Valenia and say, look, I disagree with what you're saying. But what's not going to happen is for for Valenia to say that I'm a, a piston shill or I'm paid for the media is bought and paid for by the whatever, blah, 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 blah. blah. That's not going to happen. So. It's just respect my work, but disagree if you want to, and that's cool. Everybody's cool with that. Well, I think that's where we're at, Rod. I mean, I've, I've been highly complimentary of your work again and again publicly. Yeah. Um, you know, we just disagree on this. So I think, you know, I think with you and I, it's respect, you know, respectful. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, absolutely. I, I have seen some people, you know, tweet at you something regarding tanking, and, and, and you've announced that you've blocked them, and. I don't know that necessarily they were trolling you or they didn't call you a name. I I think they're getting you till getting to you a little bit, a little bit, and I I I understand it. Believe me. I mean, I I had a report uh, a few years back uh, that Brad Austin was going to be let go, and then the Free Press jumped on it, WDIV jumped on it, but I had it first, and uh, most national outlets gave me credit for it. Mike Illich got sick. Chris Illich was running the operations. It got pulled back. I looked stupid. WDIV looked stupid. The free press looked stupid. A lot of people looked stupid. I was uh, the front of that train. Yeah. I got more negative messages for two weeks. And people like going after my wife. People yeah. got like not just oh you're a dummy like that. That's fair game. Like really personal stuff. It got really nasty. I had a report that Steve Eiserman was coming back back in September. Yeah directly from the Illich family, said that it was already agreed upon. It was 100%. I was consistent on it. That report came out that he was interested in the Rangers job. I immediately came out and said it was nonsense. Eisman ends up coming back here about a week and a half ago, whatever it was. Maybe 10, 12 people said something nice. You know, yeah. it, it was 100 to 200 people uh, threatening me, you know, trying to dox me when it went wrong. But when it goes right, you get a few. But I mean, Twitter is yeah, terrible. It just, kind of, it, it just is what it is. It's terrible stuff, you know. So I, I do feel for you on that, and that's where I would commend you, and I have commended you in the past for having that accessibility because it's not a, a characteristic a lot of your colleagues have, to be to be frank. No, and that's but but I just like to hear new ideas, and and to be perfectly honest, when the whole tanking argument came up, it was just something. Well, you know, I I my gut tells me that I don't like it. But the more that I interact with people, I actually got better educated on the process, what it means, and to have that conversation with more people. So as much as I didn't like it in my gut, the idea of it, the more I found out about it is, hey, let me look into this a little bit more. Let me see what the tanking implications actually are. And I can listen to it. But as soon as the the Blake Griffin signings happens – we're done. You can't have that conversation anymore. But that's I think I'm a little bit more better versed on it because of those interactions with people. So it, it may come across that I'm anti tanking. But again, it's not it works for some people. It's like um, uh, swinging. Some people like swinging, but that's that's cool for them. 
but it's not cool for everybody else. So if I'm not down with that, then that does, does that make me uh, public enemy number one? Or I, that, that's somebody that I don't want to interact with because I don't do the same things. And that's how it comes across on Twitter very often is if you don't believe what we believe, then you're wrong. And it's an opinion. So we can't get into the right and wrong. You believe what you believe, and that's cool. Oh, some people just think they can't hear it. When you were on Vlani's show, you did like a 15-minute interview with him. He said a lot of what you said here tonight as well. People were calling in for like an hour ripping on you, saying stuff that you didn't say. So I I understand the frustration. I really do. I just think, think you have to keep your eye on the ball a little bit and try not to get too lost in the muck. Because And look, this is not coming from someone that is above it. I've gotten... Caught yeah. in that muck before, probably too many times. Twitter sucks, man. It's yeah. just uh, t- Twitter's terrible, right? I mean, we all agree with that. So just try to stay true to yourself because you're one of the good ones out there, and we no, don't want to we don't want to lose you into the you know. Look, I, I don't want to. I don't expect you to respond to anything with your colleagues, but Lynn Henning, the poor guy, before he retired, got so inundated with criticism that every single person that would tweet at him, even a question. He yeah. got he got so defensive. Everything that was posited to him was taken as an attack on him. He was just a mess. So don't don't go the Lynn Henning route. Uh, don't don't let those people get you down, Rod. Uh, you and I disagree on this, and, and that's fine. I want to ask you, and I won't keep you too much longer, but I do want to ask you for this upcoming season playoffs. Fast forward a couple months, they're done. They go into the draft. They get whoever they get. Is there a path for this team to be to be demonstrably better? fundamentally different and demonstrably better next year. Is there a way for them to do that? I think they've really got to hit on this draft pick. It's got to be a wing that an athletic wing, and I've seen some some of the names that have popped out. Porter from, um, from USC is one of them. But they got to get a guy like that, and they don't have a lot of, of money to go out in free agency and make a big splash. I think they've got to look at the point guard position, both with Reggie Jackson and Ishmith, and look at look for upgrades at both positions, and I just don't know how that's going to happen with what they've got, unless they're going into the tax and far into the tax to try to figure something out. You give them Kimball Walker, we can talk. That's that's a game changer for what they can do. But I don't see the, a pathway to that. If they come back with this same roster, I would imagine they're still 44, 45 wins tops. I, I with the way the rest of the the Eastern Conference is going. And the way that Milwaukee is and Boston is, those teams aren't getting worse. And that was the logic with this year was Cleveland lost to Brown. They're going to be a lottery team next year. How far can the Pistons jump up the totem pole and didn't make a market improvement at all in the in terms of total wins and, and where they were in the seeding-wise uh, of that? And again, I thought the, the, the way that this would make the most sense and be the biggest benefit is if they played like a Toronto. Everybody knew Milwaukee was the absolute worst draw for them. They had no shot there. And Toronto, maybe. Philly, with the, the turmoil that they were going through, and, and they're not a playoff-experienced team, is that maybe there's a shot there. And I think that was, if you're looking at Drummond and the way that Drummond could could turn things around is with Embiid, they have a playoff series, and he dominates in two of the three games, like 2020 dominates and kind of slays that beast of Embiid. That would have been an interesting storyline for me and obviously Toronto with with uh, Casey and all of that stuff. But Milwaukee was the one where it's just sort of, you know what? And I said that on the Valini show. He said, well, they're just going to go in the playoffs and get beat. three. Well, I said, but if they play Toronto, it might be something different. 
So it wasn't, hey, just roll into the playoffs and, and whatever happens, happens. Give me a specific scenario where they can do something. Toronto. I, I thought that that was a team that was ripe for the beating. So they, I don't know how much they got out of this playoff appearance in four straight games. For me, it was showing that Luke Kennard can handle that, um, that limelight and that spotlight. Some of the other guys off the bench showed that they weren't really going to flourish in those circumstances. We saw some, something different from Blake Griffin, that he's the warrior that we think he is, that he's going out on, on one chicken leg and just out there just playing, and he's in complete pain. It reinforced a lot of what people thought about Drummond, too. So at least you know what you've got with some of these guys. And would you know that if you hadn't made the playoffs? Eh, eh does it matter? Eh, it's a matter of opinion. It, it just depends on how you look at things. But I think there's something to be gained from this. And that's the thing. Is that more than what you would have gotten by tanking? That's up to your perspective. The last two times we've seen Andre Drummond in the playoffs, also the only two times. <laughs> the only last, two times. <laughs> the only two times. That's probably the better way to phrase it. The, the only two times we've seen Andre Drummond in the playoffs, the first time was the sweep against Cleveland where he was unusable at the end of games. That was back when he was at the 38% range at, from the line. Just They couldn't play him. He would be sitting on the bench at the end of the fourth quarter. Game's still close. That series was a sweep, but the Pistons were in three of those four games. Yeah. Pouting, sitting away from his teammates, not in the huddle, disengaged. He looked like a big uh, baby on the sidelines, just disgusted and, and a sad little toddler, spoiled little toddler. Fast forward to this year in the playoffs, he has an issue where he's calling out Jennifer Hammond from Fox 2 for quoting him on Twitter, which was just a bizarre exchange, where he got ejected from a game. He was asked about it uh, by the media afterwards, and he said, oh, I got to go shower early. Just a totally tone-deaf comment when you're in the middle of getting your doors blasted off. You you were the former franchise player for this team. I guess you're second fiddle now, but you're making max dollars. You're a top-paid guy, and, and you're coming out like you don't care. So we've seen two examples of this guy in the postseason a few years apart. Both times was, frankly, an embarrassment. One time he got him pouting on the bench. Fast forward a few years, he's getting ejected, telling the media, oh, I got to hit the showers early. This guy is toxic as far as I'm concerned to any effort to turn this thing around, big picture, small picture, whatever. Do you think Andre Drummond can really be part a key cog in a championship team? Because I, I see him as toxic, Rod. I'm going to frame this as not defending him, but f- adding context to the situation. The, the thing with Jennifer Hammond was, and I was standing right there next to him when he said it, it was more of he was in kind of a joking mood, and it, it, there was another question before that. That's a whole other problem that he's in a joking mood, Rod, but go ahead. But, but it was sort of, he got ejected, he couldn't believe he got ejected, and even when he was walking out, it's sort of, I can't believe I got ejected. But in the locker room, there was another question before that, and then it was, well, well what did you get out of blah, 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 or could you believe it? Yeah, well, I got to go to this. But that's his attempt at humor, and it was the context, again, doesn't come across in Twitter, but if you see the video, it's just sort of a, eh, yeah, it, it's a joke that probably was a little tone deaf, but it wasn't as bad in person as it, it came across and as it was on Twitter. And so that's one thing. The other thing is, when you look at what he's done, a lot of the things that people have said about that he couldn't do, you, you mentioned the free throw thing. It was hypnosis. It was the VR goggles. It was, I mean, 
that whole storyline of how he improved on free throws is insane. Whatever he did, he figured it out. And the way that he was used with Stan last year as the, the, the point center thing before they got Drummond, I think he's improved. And when we say that he's a Max guy, it's kind of a misnomer because he's not a Blake Max. He's a post-rookie deal, the first deal you get after that. So he's, what, 27, 26 or $27 million. So it's not a $35 million like Blake. So it's different. So Max has its different connotations. So is he a $26 million guy? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's whatever. Not in this era. I mean, not. but but look at the other bad contracts around the league, too. There are, there are worse contracts. Would you want to be paying Otto Porter what you're paying him? Well, yeah, some guys, when they're pulled over for DUI, blow a .32 and some blow a .18. It's just because there's some other jackass that's worse than me. No, 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 no. But the point of it is, they. I don't think they gave him his deal out of merit. They gave him his because it was a choice between between him and Greg Monroe. You obviously err on the side of the younger guy with the higher ceiling. And so it was circumstantial, not necessarily merit-based, that they decided they were going to give him that max contract. Yeah. If they don't have him, where the heck are they now with who are they building this thing around? Who, who's there? Oh, ja Morant or uh, Zion Williamson? Because they'd probably be picking Oh, they, they might be. Yeah, you're right. They, they might <laughs> that, just be that we've bad. We've come full circle, Rod. That's what they, I'm talking about. They might about. just be that bad where they could get any of those guys. But I think they felt like they needed something to build around. And he was... Maybe not merit-based, but circumstantially the best option they had at the time. Look, anyone that has followed me at all for the, the past five, six, seven years, I was on the tear this thing down five years ago train. When everyone else loved Andre Drummond, I was against the grain with that. I, I He just wasn't the right guy. Doesn't mean he's a bad player. I've never said, oh, Andre Drummond stinks. He's a terrible player. It's not about that. He can't be the best player or second best player on a championship-level team. I challenged anybody, and you're welcome to chime in, Rod. Name the team, and this is pre-Blake Griffin, but name the team in the history of the NBA that won an NBA title with their best player fitting that profile in terms of uh, attitude, not style of play. Where, whose best player on a title team was sitting at the end of the bench, uh, pouting all the time. He's in that kind of Stefan Marbury, Steve Francis. He's kind of a goofball. They're great players, but they ain't Kobe. They're no, not killers. No, and and he's know? he's what twenty five. How long are we going to make excuses no, no, no. But, for the guy? Okay, so so the la- in two thousand sixteen when they made the playoffs and he was on the end of the bench pouting, he was twenty two. Okay, I mean how many how many stupid things have we done at twenty two? Look. You mature from age 22 on, but every 22-year-old crybaby loser I knew 10 years ago at 22 is some version of that same loser today. And that was the argument I made. What's the precedent right in the NBA for here's the 22-year-old superstar that had all these issues early and then figured it out and then was the mature floor general? You have guys like Antoine Walker that ended up collecting rings as like the seventh guy coming off the bench later in their careers. You know, you've seen it happen, but never as the key cog in a champion. You either have it or you don't, and you can tell pretty quickly. Like, Drummond just doesn't have it. He he doesn't. He can be the fourth best player on a championship team. I'm not saying, like, he's so toxic. But if he's going to be the focal point or the the option B, you're done. You're never going to do anything. No, and I I think what you've seen is he's settled into a different role since Griffin's got here, and he can work off of Griffin from a professional standpoint, 
from a learning standpoint, from a big man standpoint, those guys worked together better with Griffin there than Drummond was going to ever work probably with anybody else that you brought in here. So that, I thought, was the, the bigger piece of them bringing in Griffin was, hey, we need somebody to mentor Drummond and to give him a, a, a model for professionalism and what he needs to do to be a better NBA player. Because before that, he didn't have anybody. I mean, you had, um, you just had veteran centers who were his, his mentors, but not somebody necessarily that he respected and said, that's the kind of guy that I want to be from a contract standpoint, from a professionalism standpoint, from a basketball standpoint. Blake Griffin is the best role model I could possibly have. So maybe what Goris was trying to do was not necessarily we're going to squeeze the last couple of good years out of Griffin on the court, but really we're going to try to give Griffin or give Drummond somebody that he can work with and learn from to become a better pro. Because of all of the the um, criticism of Goris and he's so tied to Drummond and he's never going to trade Drummond. If that's true and that's what he believes, then bringing Griffin in was the best thing he could have done to, to help to make Drummond something better than what he was. And I don't think anybody would question that Drummond is a better player this year than he was at any other point in his career. That's fair, but all, all that and five dollars will buy you a hot and ready because they got exactly what they got when Drummond was a lesser player and was more of a crybaby a few years, you know, three years ago. They're the same place they were then. But it, it puts you on a, a closer pathway, again, with another piece. It's not close to completion. You're, you're working on a puzzle and you got the, a couple of centerpieces, but there's no end pieces, no corners to tell you what the heck you're actually doing. Well, good luck getting those games out of Blake Griffin again. That's you know that's all I'm going to say. Uh, let's finish with this, Rod. Blake Griffin, thoughts on him? You're around him a lot. He is as professional of a guy as I've ever seen come through this town. The opposite of Prince Fielder, you know, just always says the right thing, gracious with the media. What are your impressions being around Blake Griffin? He's he's a consummate pro. He's just a pro's pro. I mean, and, and when he got here, and I was trying to do a, a feature story on him. Um, and he knew that in the locker room was just – and he's like, yeah, just just find me on this road trip. Just just we'll pick a day and we'll sit down for 10 or 15 minutes. And we were supposed to go have lunch one day, and he couldn't do it. So then he said, you know what, when everybody's done in the locker room, I'll stay 10 or 15 minutes extra so you get everything that you need. I mean, that's that's consummate pro. But the, the, the biggest thing was when they were doing their exit interviews last week at the beginning of the week. And when he was done, he shook Every media person, cameramen who aren't even around all the time, that don't really get to talk to him, he shook every hand in that room. And he, there's no reason to do that. You don't have to do that. You don't get any extra chips for that. There's nothing. But that's what kind of pro he is. He just understands, hey, it's been a long season. We, we, we did everything we could. It's been fun working with you guys. Let me shake your hands. And it's terrible game. He's, he's the first one to get up and talk. Good game. He's going to talk to you too. He'll take up for his teammates. He shows you what a pro should be. And again, I think that's the impact that he can have on Drummond is providing him with that type of model. Well, as much as I love Blake, I think Drummond's beyond rehabilitation. And I just think he is who he is. But that clip of uh, Blake shaking everyone's hand in the media went kind of viral on yeah. Twitter. I mean, as it should. I mean, it's a, he's a rare guy. Uh, I, he had every reason to be disgusted. He's a guy that really loved that L.A. life, was dating a member of the Kardashian clan, you know, had a nice house on the beach. He really liked that lifestyle, big into the key ads and all that. And I just, I'm blown away by how hard that guy's played, the way he's conducted himself. It's just, it's really a lesson uh, you can hold up for anybody, uh, you know, your kids or for other athletes. So uh, it's a pleasure to have him here. 
And it was a pleasure to have you, Rod. I enjoyed our conversation. No, and see, we did it, and nobody's an idiot. We can walk out of here and shake hands. Oh, and not, good. I, I would never call you a name, Rod. I'm not one of those freaks on Twitter, but uh, I'm a very, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a gentleman just like you, my friend. No, I appreciate it. So uh, thank you to Rod for joining us, uh, Rod Beard from the Detroit News. It was fun. I'd love to have you back uh, when the Pistons draft, you know, I don't know, some <laughs> white guy from Duke or something. <laughs> Who will be very inspiring, I'm sure, just like the the Canard pick. But uh, it was so, a, what if they trade up? Then what? Are they trading Drummond to trade up? Because then I'm all could in. be. I don't care what they trade. Could be. I, I, hey, I'm ready for something to make sense because nothing has made sense in 11 years in this town with that team. It's I'm, it's an open canvas. If they trade up, they could be. Who knows where? I think they're committed to the same crappy cycle, man. I, I don't get that. I don't Tom Gores loves him some Andre Drummond. So what are you gonna do? We're stuck. And you're stuck, too, because, you know, I don't care what any writer says. I know a lot of journalists. I'm not saying they root for the teams, but they root for stories. They root for disasters. They root for interesting. I think you're rooting for interesting. This team hasn't been interesting in a long Come on. You're not rooting for – you like this team winning between 36 and 44 games No, no, no. I was, I was, was going to say there's, there's not much interesting that's there. I mean, the Blake Griffin is interesting, but it just – Even that got stale, and that's not his fault. But even that got stale. The no, it got, is, it got stale asking every day, what's, well, what's the status of his knee? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly, yeah. The, the, the team is actually impressively consistent. They, they win between 35 and 42 games every year for like 12 years now. They just can't get out of that. They can't pick higher than the eighth. They can't you know, make a, a playoff run or even win a playoff game. It's, just, it's an absolute, uh, almost impossible commitment to purgatory. And that's where they're at. And... That's why I'm depressed and sometimes get a little heated with Rod on Twitter. Never personal, but always passionate. 2023, it's your next opportunity. I can't wait. I can't (laughs) wait. All right, Rod Beard, thank you so much for joining us. Rod Beard, the Detroit News. This was the Spiro Avenue podcast. Uh, Thank you to Jag the DJ. Jag in Detroit was our producer behind the board. Uh, He threw his mic down uh, when he saw Syracuse got eliminated so early in the basketball tournament, and it hasn't been working since. So we'll get him back maybe if Jim Boeheim gets his Syracuse Orangemen in line next season. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been Justin Spiro from the Spiro Avenue Podcast, and we will catch you next time.